0: Good morning, church. So glad you can join us uh, this morning for worship here at FCBC Dallas. My name is Dylan, and I'm the college and career pastor here at FCBC Dallas. Before we continue into our worship service this morning, uh, let's pray and ask God to speak his truth to us today so we can grow and be transformed and uh, really just be open to hearing from his truth. So let's pray today. Uh, Father, we thank you for this morning that we can sing praises to you and hear from your word and you speak true to us. Uh, This truth that's not only going to be good for intellectual learning, but truth that would really orient our hearts toward you and those you call us to love. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are joining this worship service. Uh, May you bless them and make your presence known to them even today as you worship together. And we just thank you again for this opportunity. May it really change us and so that you can send us out to love those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt... Like, out of touch, you know? That feeling when people are talking about something that's new and fresh. Yeah, you honestly are thinking to yourself, I have no idea what's happening right now. I have a confession to make to you that I've started to feel that way over the past couple of years. Right? I know I'm not, like, old or anything, relatively speaking. But I just don't understand things like I used to. Nothing encompasses that feeling more um, than TikTok, Right? TikTok is this app. And if you don't even know what I'm talking about, then you're another level removed, even beyond me, which is fine. Cause you can kind of sit in that feeling and you can get the point of my introduction here. And I don't even have to explain it to you, but for those of you that know what this app is, and those of you that even use it and understand it, I just got to say to you, like, I don't, I don't get it. Like I don't get the appeal, right? I don't get why I want to record myself doing some type of dance. And, like, I even looked up other, like, TikTok trends that people have been into, and, like, I saw one where parents were intentionally spilling water on their babies. Like, what's up with that? And even weirder, some people are using nail files to file their teeth, and they just put this on the internet. So, like, to me, you know, the internet is just getting really, really weird. And hopefully it's not just me. uh, Maybe maybe it is. Either way, I, I think I've begun the transition into the phase of my life where I say things like, man... Kids these days, though, Um, but hopefully I'm not to the stage of my life where I'm telling kids to get off my lawn just yet, but we'll see. And so now you might be wondering to yourself, why is my pastor talking about TikTok on a Sunday morning? This sermon must have really gone off the rails right out the gate. Maybe this quarantine time has really been getting to Dylan. You know, all those things might be true, but on top of that, the way that I view current trends um, you know, which are difficult to understand, they're pretty far removed from our own day-to-day experience. I'm sharing these things with you because in reality, that's how much of society views us as the church and as Christians. Think about it. I'm sure there are youth watching the sermon right now who spend countless of hours on TikTok. I'm sure there are some adults too, I'm not going to expose you, and they're thinking right now, like, I'm crazy because I, I, I don't get it, Right? And if you sit and think about it for a second, that's exactly how society is beginning to view Christians. That we're out of touch, stuck in our ways, reading this book, talking about some guy that lived 2000 years ago. Right? Do you know how long ago 2000 years was? That's so long ago. So you think about your non-Christian relationships, like your friends, family, classmates, you know, coworkers, just the people you know. And if you ever had a spiritual conversation with them, my guess is more than likely, they kind of looked at you the same way maybe some of these high school students are looking at me when I'm talking about TikTok, right? They might just have some confusion, maybe a little bit of pity, like thinking that, man, these people got to deal with the times, you know? Like, that's not a thing anymore. And So the question for us as the church is how have we neglected our duty to connect with the world that we live in? When society deems us as relics of the past, something really went wrong along the way. But I'm here to tell you today, like not all hope is lost. First and foremost, of course, God is still on the throne and like it doesn't really matter human perspectives, like how, how humans view each other. But secondly, you know, we can always work on how the world perceives us. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about speaking to the culture. And we're going to answer this question like, what can the church do to speak truth in a skeptical age? What can the church do to speak truth in a skeptical age? And this is a conclusion to our series, Agree to Disagree, and it's so important for us today to recognize how we can share the good news of Jesus to a world that seemingly just doesn't want to listen. So our text today is going to come from the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts 17, 16 to 34, and we're going to visit the Apostle Paul again, this recurring character in our series um, this time around. In Acts 17, 16 to 34, we're going to see two points and we're going to see an application for us today. So I'm going to read the first few verses for us. So follow along on screen or in your own Bibles, Acts 17, starting at verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in a synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the, <laughs> took him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears? And we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. All right, let's stop right there. These opening verses, they set the scene for us. right, so Paul, he's in Athens. He's actually waiting for his friends, Timothy, Silas, and others to meet up with him in the city. And what do you do while you're waiting for your friends? Well... If you're Paul, you go to the synagogue and the marketplace and debate and share the good news, apparently. But in verse 16, we actually gives us already a glimpse into Paul's heart and motivation here. It says that he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul then sees that the people in Athens, they're far from God. And that weighs on his heart. As Christians, we should be this should be our response. When we see that people are far from God, right, placing idols in the place of where God should be. right, This is the way we should respond when we see those things too. And we can think about it like, what would Paul see if he were here and wandering around our city today? If he was just walking around Dallas, um, what would cause him to be distressed? And in the same way, what should cause us to be distressed when we look around and see the society around us? Questions like these, they're important, and they help us get into the mindset of Paul as he explores Athens, and even as we start to view our own city for the sake of the gospel. We also meet some of these Athenians that Paul talks to. Right? It's recorded that there's a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that debate with Paul. This is going to be pretty important later in Paul's message to them. And just as a quick overview of these two philosophies, I'll just cover them, do a quick overview for you. Um, Epicureans, they're materialists, which means they they don't believe in afterlife and they think that this life is all there is. They advocate pleasure, which is the highest good, and specifically they think that mental or intellectual pleasure is better than physical, because it's going to free them from anxiety and mental stress. And that's, to them, the thing that should be avoided the most. In Stoicism, this believes that the greatest virtue is to discover truth, Through pursuing divine reason within oneself. So basically for them, they think rational thought and reason are the most important things. So Stoics, they value self-control. They they want to be self-controlled so that they can kind of push their emotions away because they view emotions as destructive. Right. Emotions get in the way of clear reasoning. Only when you have a clear and unbiased mind can you then think and understand the universe. Right. This thing they call Logos governs nature and that's like rationality. So regarding the afterlife regarding the afterlife, Stoics believe that only the soul, or the divine spark, as they call it, survived death and continued on. So I, I bet you didn't expect a philosophy lesson this morning, but this is really important, so just kind of file it in the back of your mind. Epicureans, they pursue pleasure, stoics pursue rational thought. So this is important and it'll come up again later. So Paul meets with these philosophers. They find him spouting some nonsense about Jesus and the resurrection. But since the philosophers, they like to talk and think about life, it seems that at least some of them are open to hearing what Paul has to say. So they bring him to the Areopagus, which, as you can imagine, is kind of like a public debate arena. So back in Athens, is actually a court where most of society's issues, they were debated and resolved. So it's kind of like maybe our modern day like town halls or city councils. Like People would get here, they would talk about a lot of different issues in the city, and they would figure it out together. So hopefully that kind of helps paint the picture, what that looks like. And Paul is invited to speak in some of Athens' most uh, influential people. He's invited to speak in front of these influential people. So let's keep reading to see what he actually says, starting in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting in the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Let's stop right there. This is an example of Paul's skill in his communication and debate. Right? Even just in his opening statement, there's so many things going on. We can break it down like this. Right, Paul opens with a statement. It's actually meant... To get the favor of his audience right he's supposed to get their attention he says to the athenians that they're very religious and for them that are listening back in that time they're probably nodding with approval and probably some pride to be yeah yeah we are like that's a good thing that's a compliment to them and paul even noticed an altar created to an unknown god right and so this is probably some type of you can think about it as like worship insurance just in case they miss one of the gods in their worship of all these different gods Because the Athenians, they're pantheists. They have many, many gods. And many of the Greek gods that we're actually familiar with just from school. But here's the kicker. Paul shifts and says, So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So remember, these are philosophers. The Stoics in particular, they worshiped reason and the pursuit of truth. So for a Stoic, their cardinal sin was ignorance. And that's what Paul is accusing them of. Not only is Paul claiming to have the answer to their ignorance, or Paul is claiming to have the answer to their ignorance, and you know, Paul has their attention now, because he's praised them in the beginning, and he's also kind of insulted them, right, in the matter of a couple of sentences, but he's using all of this as a way to get their attention. So what's this mean for us today, right? So there are a few observations to make about what Paul's done here so far. He's walked around Athens to observe and take note of the culture around him. Basically, he studied these people. He's come away learning that they worship a lot of different gods, even ones they don't know the identity of. For us, we have to follow in Paul's example. We have to become students of the culture. Right? He knows what matters to these people. He knows what would get their attention when he's talking to them. Right? He praises the religious piety, and then he understands what would offend them and get them a little bit heated when he accuses them of ignorance. Paul recognizes that these philosophers, they're asking the big questions about life, right? Their worship of all these gods, the pursuit of pleasure or reason, is their attempt at understanding the world. And that's not too different from the questions we try to ask as Christians, and that we're trying to understand in the world too. Paul is a master of knowing his audience. What he learns is our first point for today, which is this. Everyone is asking the same questions, but in different ways. Everyone is asking the same questions, but in different ways. Right, consider Paul's audience here. They're a bunch of philosophers that are trying to understand and gain meaning from life. While we don't have people necessarily walking around today that identify as Stoics and Epicureans, there probably are, but that's not as common anymore. Um, Not that much has changed for us, right? The big questions of life are still the same. Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is good? What is bad? Is there life after death? You know, everyone from children, even up to adults, at some point in their lives have wrestled with these questions, right? It's just the way that we express and try to answer those questions that's changed. Back in Paul's day, they had these altars that lined the streets, right? So they could worship all their different gods. And today, the idols, they're all on our phones, our social media, in our bank accounts, Right? We merely change the method of our worship. And we can only figure these things out for our culture today in this time and place. We can only figure that out if we become students of our particular context, just like Paul did here in Athens. And like Paul, when we figure out the way that everyone is asking the same questions, and we get their attention, we start a dialogue. So we have to become students of the culture in order to speak to the culture. Right. We have to become students of the culture in order to speak to the culture. We know what is important to the people around us in this time. We use that to connect with them. Use that to speak to them. So I know like nowadays we're actually like pretty self-centered if I'm being honest. That's kind of the culture we live in. And arguably that's the case in the New Testament times too. Uh, but today at least often we're too preoccupied with ourselves to really notice and learn about the people around us. If we just take our focus off of ourselves for just a moment, then we can begin to see and observe how other people live their lives. You might notice like your friend really likes to go to the gym and is all about health. Maybe your other friend is really invested in their career. Maybe your coworker. They live for their family. Other people like to travel. Really, it can be anything. And like once you just are able to observe and figure out these things and their priorities in life, you find out what they value and you can understand what value they're trying to get from those things. found out how they're asking and trying to answer the questions of life to be clear this isn't a way for us to judge our friends and call them idol worshipers because you know what what we're observing about them these things they're, they're neutral on their face because remember we're all asking the same questions we're just asking them in different ways so i know this is like a little meta a little high level but you know stick with me here and if we keep reading Paul actually gives us an excellent example of why this is all important. So we can keep reading, uh, in verse 24, and it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man. He made all the nations. That they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. All right, let's stop right there. Do you see what Paul just did? He spoke in biblical truths without using Biblical language. Every statement Paul just made is rooted in the Old Testament teaching. Yet on the surface, you couldn't really tell if you didn't already know that. Paul intentionally said things that the Athenians, they would generally agree with, and then he shifted it to the Christian perspective without even telling them what he was doing. He was using their own presuppositions as a support for his argument for the Christian God. He literally quotes one of their own poets to make the point that Paul wants to make about our relationship with God, right? Instead of quoting the Bible, he quotes something that they're familiar with that they know. This shows Paul's depth of understanding of the Greek culture. and also shows his ability to contextualize the biblical truth for his audience, right? If we go into a conversation quoting the Bible, quoting Augustine, Francis Chan, whoever, non-Christians, they're just going to look at us as kind of weird, right? So I'm going to put on screen all the different truths about God and creation that Paul covered, and it's a lot. All of this without using his Old Testament language, quoting the Bible, but he still shared these truths with them. This is only possible once we understand the people around us. We must learn to speak their language so that our message can be received. Another way to put this is in the inverse. If we don't learn to speak their language, then our message will never be received. It's as if, if I tried to go and preach the same message in the Chinese service, the content is biblical, but if it literally isn't in their language, how can I hope for them to receive what I'm sharing? They're not going to understand. They're not going to listen. Easiest example of this for me in real life is talking about sports. (laughs) Uh, To be honest, you know, I I know what a basketball is. I know what football is. I get the basics of the games. uh, But to be honest, my comprehension doesn't go much deeper than that. I'm just kind of the guy that like nods along, uh, when in reality, like I'm just hearing the words, but I'm not really processing them. I'm sure you've been in a situation where you're talking to someone, and it seems like they're assuming you're understanding what they're saying. But in reality, you're not following at all. I think most of the time, when Christians try to have spiritual conversations with non-Christians, we come off the same way. We talk about Jesus when people don't even know who Jesus is. Like, Jesus could just be some guy, for all they know. Uh, My point then is is to stop using our specialized Christian language, hoping that non-Christians will understand it. Did you know that in the early church days, in kind of New Testament time, around this time maybe in Acts, people actually accused Christians of being cannibals because they heard them talking about eating the body and drinking the blood of Jesus. To us, it's like, oh yeah, that's the Lord's Supper. But when someone else hears that, that's, that's some weird, like, cultish ritual. That's, that's a weird thing they don't want to be involved with. So what that means is the packaging of our message matters. How we communicate matters almost as much as what we are communicating. So are we going to learn to speak to our non-Christian friends and family in a way that they can understand? Are we going to continue to hope that they'll come to us, come to church, learn our language on our terms, so that we can share the good news with them in a way that's comfortable to us? No, that's not how it works, and that's not the example that Paul gives us here in Acts. So let's finish reading Paul's message to the Athenians. He makes a sharp pivot to the heart of his message here. So starting in verse 29, this is what it says. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Okay, so Paul, he's made a pivot to presenting the gospel here, making an invitation to his audience to believe and repent. But what he's done here is pretty ingenious. Paul, you know, if you think about it, so thus far, Paul, he started with acknowledging their desire to understand God in the world. He praised their religiosity. He shows that he understands the question that they're asking. And he ends by providing the answer to those questions, which is the Christian faith. He shares the gospel, which is our need for repentance. And just he shares about the impending judgment um, in a way to answer their questions. So this is our second point. That Christianity best answers the questions of life. These philosophers that Paul is talking to, they spent their lives trying to understand the deep questions of life, trying to discern meaning from their human experience. If you read carefully, Paul never diminishes their efforts as futile. He merely says that he has a better way, and that way is through this man sent by God. If you notice, he never even names Jesus here, but he presents the truth of Jesus, his call for repentance, the impending judgment, his resurrection. You know, maybe Paul knew if he explicitly talked about Jesus at this point in time, it'd just be a turnoff to his audience. So he packaged the truth of the gospel in a way that wouldn't detract from the message. Right? To use an old saying, he, don't put the cart before the horse. If they haven't even accepted the need For the one true God, they won't help to tell them all about the details of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all these things. We don't even know who God is, don't even want to know who God is. I think sometimes that's exactly what we do as Christians, right? Yeah, you know, we have to share the good news of Jesus, but also we can work up to it. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, he describes effective apologetics as actually making an emotional appeal, not a logical one, right? People need to want God to be real before they can begin to accept that he is. If people aren't open to the existence of God, then it won't do any good to talk about God, his inspired word, or any of that with them. So first, we need to make that emotional appeal, then we can shift to the logical one to explain why it makes sense, why God is real. You know, nowadays, the label of Christian carries so much baggage around it. And of course, I'd argue that baggage isn't accurate, but the reality is that many Christians have misrepresented the truth of our faith in a way that has turned people off from hearing the gospel. People, they still want to hear the truth because everyone's on a search for truth. If you slap Jesus' name on there, they already disengage and have a lot of assumptions about what we're talking about. And sometimes, right, so it seems that we need to hold our cards close to the chest, waiting for the right moment to reveal the full truth. Let me ask you this. You know, those Christians on the street corner yelling at people passing by, you know, the end is near, repent now. And you know the people I'm talking about. Maybe those that drive around, that share a message of hate and negativity, all in Jesus's name. How well is the witness of those people going for building the kingdom? How well are they sharing the gospel? Is it being received? A lot of them have gotten the attention of the world, but in all the wrong ways. They're being ridiculed as closed-minded fundamentalists out of touch with society. They give Christians a bad name, and we need to reclaim that reputation in how we engage with a non-believing world and share the good news. If anything, their example shows us how we share matters nearly as much as what the gospel is itself. Of course, God can still use it for His purposes, but I think it's best to take Paul's approach here of contextualizing our message. Because contextualizing, I have to make this clear, contextualizing is not the same as compromising. Biblical truth is still truth, even when it isn't framed as such. We don't compromise on the truth of the gospel. We also need to build inroads so that we can be in a place where we can actually share it with our non-Christian friends. If we come off as Bible-thumping Christians, then we lose all credibility and lose our chance of being heard. So we need to connect the saving truth of the Bible to the concerns and values of the culture today. Not changing these truths, but presenting them in a way that's gonna be received. This brings us to our application for today, which is to build a bridge to the truth. We are to build a bridge between the culture and the truth of the Bible. This application is intentionally worded because it communicates a few things. First, we have to take an active part in building. We have to become students of our culture and our society. This is how we can effectively contextualize biblical truth in a way that it can be received. Second, we are merely building the bridge. The truth is already here in our Bibles as revealed by God. Once we connect people with the truth in a contextualized way, it isn't up to us to force them to believe. God's truth speaks for itself better than we ever could. We are just helping others give the biblical truth a chance. All we are doing is meeting people halfway, understanding where they're coming from, and guiding them toward the truth of God. Because God is really the one that's doing the true work of transformation and sharing the truth with them. Right? We're just the build bridge. We're just the bridge builders, plain and simple. We're just the bridge builders. As we've already seen, people they're searching for the truth. They're searching for the deeper answers to life's questions. And as Christians, we have the worldview that best answers their questions. Purpose of life, we got that. Nature of good and evil, we got that too. Values of equality, justice, seeking the good of the world we live in. Yeah, those are biblical values. So let's act as a connection point between when people want to know what God wants to speak with them. Let's be bridge builders. So let's finish the final few verses of our passage, starting in verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Aropicus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. As you can see, even the Apostle Paul, he's the greatest missionary in Christian history. Even, Even he had a mixed response to his gospel presentation. That's because Paul's converting all of them isn't necessarily the point here. The point is his faithfulness to building the bridge between what the Athenians were looking for and the truth as is revealed in the scriptures. And we are faithful when we are faithful to steward the good news. Some are still going to reject it. Some are still not going to follow. But others... They will believe and find the truth that they're looking for. And that's why we're here. That's our calling as a church to connect a searching world to the truth of God. If we desire to see souls saved and lives transformed by the gospel, we as a church need to speak to the hearts of people around us. Our message of truth, it never changes. This is always the same. But the context that we're in shapes how we present it. Paul wouldn't preach the same way today as he did back then. Our audience matters. So a few thoughts on how about, to how, to how to go about doing this. Because you might be thinking, you know, this sounds good. What do you actually do? So I'll say bridge building 101. First thing, you know, you got to study the culture. This means building real relationships with the people around you so you can know and understand them. You can gain an ability to speak their language really just get trust with them secondly study the truth that means building your own relationship with god where you know him you know his teachings and you're being faithful to your spiritual formation and then finally you wait for the opportunities to connect them god's going to lead and we just have to be faithful to obey so ask yourself who are your close relationships that don't know god who comes to mind every time you ask to pray for your non-christian friends Today, reach out to them, check in, reconnect with them, build that real friendship. In the meantime, do some preparing. I have a couple of recommendations of ways that we can continue to look into this. I mentioned Tim Keller before, and there's this interview with him and Casey Newhoff that's super good and helpful on how to connect with the world. It's called Tim Keller, How to Bring Truth to Post-Christian America. Um, And it really helps frame the mindset that's required to contextualize the gospel. If you're really ambitious, um, I, I recommend that you read um, The Reason for God, right? This is, I know, watching an interview, reading a book, this is work. If God never said it would be easy. And he invites us to join him in this most important work. So there's our homework. Reach out to a friend. Also grow in your understanding of contextualizing the gospel. This is how we can fulfill our calling as a church to share the good news to a world that's honestly searching for God, they're searching for truth and meaning. So to summarize what we covered today, everyone is asking the same questions, but in different ways. Christianity best answers the questions of life. And the application, build a bridge to the truth. And the way we build the bridge is by studying the culture, studying the truth, and waiting for an opportunity to make the connection. When we remain faithful to this, we'll watch the amazing things that God is going to do in building his kingdom, the things that he's always and already has been doing. Will we just be faithful to obey? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word and your example that we read and saw in Paul's life. May we also be faithful to follow in that example, to study and know the culture to actually know the people around us, Um, not to just see them as someone we have to recite some script to, but see them as real people with real questions. And then to see you, God, as, as the real God with the real truth and the real answers. Help us connect and build these bridges in between. And may you just use us, God, to build your kingdom, make your name great, make your name known. May we be a church that's known as people that understand the concerns of the world we live in, people that can speak to it and also point back to the truth, the answers the question in the best way possible. Because your truth is, is the best truth, God. So may we meditate on that and be faithful to do the work you're calling us to. In Jesus' name, amen.